right. All right, we're getting started. We're doing it. Okay. We're doing the thing. Hello and welcome to Dark Alignment Podcast. I'm Brittany. And I'm Aruka Rose. And we are a true crime astrology podcast performing live from Big Sexy Food in downtown Springfield, Arkansas. So we're here to have a very good time tonight. Do you want to go ahead and give a disclaimer slash trigger warning? We will be covering the son of Sam tonight. So we will be talking about murder and crimes. So um, you have been warned and... We're going to kick it off by showing you our amazing merchandise we have down here. We have stickers for sale for $5, and we have candles available for $25. Um, so if you're interested, we will be selling those after the show. Mm-hmm. You should announce those to our, our listeners because uh, they're up on our oh, website. They're yeah. on our website. You can find them at uh, darkalignmentpodcast.com, mm-hmm. and all that's available. So uh, check that out. And you can follow us, you can like, you can subscribe, you can rate, you can review us. We're on every single platform where you find podcasts. So um, stay connected with us, and you can find us individually on social media as well. Mm-hmm. So at Aruka Rose. At Aruka Rose. And, and I'm I, go ahead. at Britt Oakley. <laughs> we want to address our costumes tonight. Yeah. Um, so we couldn't decide what we wanted to do for a costume. We were kind of struggling with like what to wear. And we both decided to be Britney Spears because why not? We wanted it to be like a duo costume. We wanted our costumes to complement each other, but we were really struggling to find that common ground. And then, you know, Britney Spears unites many, many people, including us. Is there a Britney update that you would like to give our listeners? Um, Yeah, I do have a Britney update. So her court hearing is on November the 12th. Super exciting, and this is Scorpio to, season. Yes, Scorpio season. This is to end her conservatorship, which is humongous. She's been under this uh, abusive conservatorship for 13 years, and we will be covering her for an episode, hopefully in December, hopefully on her birthday, December 2nd, um, to celebrate her freedom and finally talk about all, all things of, she's been through. All of those crimes that she's unfortunately been victim to. Yes. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get started. We're going to be covering David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, and the sources for this episode, uh, Wikipedia, son of Sam documentary by Real Crime, CBSN, actual interviews of David Berkowitz himself by Fox News and Inside Edition, and crimemuseum.org. So trigger warning. Murderer ahead. So <laughs> you actually wrote that. In your I notes. did. I wrote it in the notes. Huge. Murder ahead. Yeah. Murder. I feel ahead. like I'm I'm at a like a like a park where you do the rides and they have the warning. They, yeah, it's a disclaimer. Yes. It's a warning. You've been warned. So keep all arms and limbs inside the vehicle. All body parts inside <laughs> the car. Um, but we will start off by talking about his childhood. So he was born with the name. Richard David Falco on June 1st, 1953. So he's obviously a Gemini son, and I immediately have issues with this. Um, But anyway, (laughs) his biological mother, Elizabeth, grew up in a low-income family. She worked as a waitress all through her adult life. She gets married, so that's going, going good, but her first husband ended up leaving her for another woman after only four years of marriage. So that was a bummer. And then she started dating someone new, but he was married. So um, when she quickly found herself pregnant with the 
child that would turn out to be the son of Sam. Mm -hmm. uh, we're just going to call him David for a little while to make it easier. Um, Davy. Davy. Uh, Davy Burkey. Davy Burke. <laughs> she ends up giving her son up for adoption just a few days after he was born because his biological father, the married guy, threatened to leave her and did not want her to keep the baby and definitely did not want this child to have his last name. So, yeah, he basically wanted nothing to do with the child, so she gave the baby her former husband's last name instead. So, wow. he did not become Berkowitz until he was adopted, and he was adopted by a couple from the Bronx, seems like really nice people, Earl and Nathan Berkowitz. They were a little bit of an older couple, and they owned a hardware store. They didn't have any children or anything, so it's like exciting. Mm -hmm. to be parents at this point and they actually um reversed the order of his birth names and gave him oh. their own last name so yeah david richard berkowitz instead of richard david falco okay yeah so he was their only child they never had any other kids after this and nathan worked a whole lot so dad's always gone he's always at work but the mother pearl gave david a ton of attention so they had a really close mm. really good relationship so so far it sounds like it's going pretty well based on like, you know, maybe not such a great start, um, but that definitely doesn't last. Mm. So now we're going to get into his pathway into criminality. So David still ended up having a pretty troublesome childhood because his father, again, was really distant. He started to feel like the adoption was a huge mistake, but his mother was really, you know, loving and kind. So that's that's good. But a big problem is that David was told that his biological mother had died during childbirth, and that was not true. And he held on to a lot of guilt because of this. He felt really responsible for her death, like he was the cause of it, so it did not manifest uh, well with him. Still, he did well in school. He made good grades, and that's usually a strong resiliency or protective factor. Um, but David had behavioral issues, and uh, he was described as being difficult, spoiled, and a bully. And this oh. does not make you an ideal candidate for uh, friendship. <laughs> so his peers definitely rejected him, and that's, that's not good. Um, it's really important for early development to have those strong peer relationships and to be accepted by your peers. Like, um, kids tend to reject other kids if they are disruptive aggressive or uncooperative so bullies tend to be like feared but they're also kind of outcasts like it makes them a little bit of loners and um yeah it's just also common that these kids who are more aggressive have fewer social skills because they don't have as many interactions and the interactions that they're having are usually not positive so it kind of exacerbates that isolation it makes them feel like even more of an outcast and david's need to belong ended up being a really big part of the crimes that he committed in adulthood so this is super relevant to what happened this is so much of my notes already yes i love it i love it when like what you've researched on the chart matches what i started to doubt myself on this one but no 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 you're exactly correct and the charts don't lie it's awesome <laughs> um so David ends up being like really infatuated with starting fires and like petty larceny and fire play is pretty normal for young children. Like most kids are like 
curious about fire yes i loved fire i feel like everybody as a child at some point like has some sort of an involvement with fire like i used to like leaves on fire and stuff because i thought it was like cool but anyway david was at the fire setting stage so he's old enough to understand like that fire is very destructive but he continues to do it and his adoptive parents tried to get him help they took him to several therapists to talk about it all and talk about the behavior issues, but it wasn't really serious enough for an intervention to take place. So nobody like really oh. thought much of it. And he was still doing well in school, so it was kind of like, oh, okay, well, it's not that bad. It's fine. It's fine. It's not that bad. Um, it was not labeled as anything to worry about. But at this point, David has enough like kind of protective factors to balance out the bad things until there's a horrible family tragedy. So when he was only 14 years old, his mother, his adoptive mother that he's super close to, dies of breast cancer. So this oh, is wow. super devastating. Like he was closer to her than any other person. He took it really, really hard. Um, and this horrible experience was just like, he was, he was so fragile at such an unfair age, you know, to lose a parent and especially when it's you've already been adopted he's already had a lot of loss in his life and he struggled a lot more in his teen years because his dad got remarried and his new stepmom like they did not have a good relationship so he really did not like her um, kind of hated her and he lived with them at home until he graduated high school in 1971 and then after that he did what a lot of people do to kind of get out of their situation and he joined the military so he was in the military for three years until he was honorably discharged in 1974. So nothing, oh. nothing too weird happened with like military. Did you see a lot of military stuff? When you uh, were... The placements I would associate with military, um, not a whole lot. No. Okay. I mean, mm, not not anything that I would think is that significant. Okay. You didn't see like anything crazy. No. Well, early adulthood. So once he's out of the military he decides to track down his biological mother because he realizes she is alive. This is not a great idea because um, she starts to tell him all the details of his birth and why she gave him up, and he's, like, not okay with this. Ooh. So he's really essentially finds out he's been rejected by two fathers at this point, like his adoptive father and his biological father. So that didn't, that didn't do well with him, and also, like, all the deception that he believed that his whole life uh, he was really angry about that. He, like, this was, this was, like, his primary crisis in life. So, because, because of this whole thing, it kind of shattered his sense of identity. And he seemingly continued to live a pretty normal life uh, for a while. He went to Bronx Community College for a year in 1975. And then he became a cab driver. So, he's, like, doing normal stuff. He had a few other random jobs here and there um but ultimately he ended up working for the united states postal service as a letter sorter and it's interesting because the post office has this reputation for having like employees do some bad things Ooh, like this i'm is, gonna question everyone i know who works at a post office Ooh, you as you should you know? <laughs> <laughs> um but he continued to like enjoy fire in a very extreme way so he never grew out of that he loved it so much he allegedly committed around 1,400 arson attacks around the city. So that's that's a lot. That's really, really crazy. 
And uh, he later claimed that he joined a satanic cult in the spring of 1975 to feel less isolated. So ah, he's, um, he uh -huh. claims this. There's a lot of debate about this when you kind of like get down to his story and once he was interrogated and all the things that he told police. So These themes of isolation be big. Yeah, isolation's big. Mm -hmm. There's lots of like, what, 12th house stuff? You oh, yeah. Lots of 12th house stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. I can't, I'm excited to see his chart later. But now we're going to get into Son of Sam. So this is actually where the bad things start happening. So trigger warning once again. Um, in 1975, David committed his first blatantly violent crime, and he chose to do this on Christmas Eve. He was 22 years old at this beautiful. time. Yeah, beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. He's 22, and he attacks a 15-year-old girl with a hunting knife. That's terrible. So this is the only time he ever uses any weapon besides a gun. Um, because of this experience, I think it did not go well. He ended up stabbing her on a bridge, but she survived. So she was in the hospital for about a week recovering from her injuries, but she was completely okay. But I think this kind of taught him that, like, that's not the best method for what he's trying to achieve. So he found a new way. You gotta, you gotta learn from your mistakes yeah, he, and, and improve on it, innovate. Yeah, he was trying to, he was trying to innovate. <laughs> Um, and no one suspected him of the crime. And after this initial experience, he decided to start using a 44 caliber pistol on his victims moving forward. And he made it a point not to attack solo victims either. So he enjoyed uh, terrorizing couples. And that was like a thing that really freaked people out. Um, and it's theorized that there was a sexual component to this where he liked having the control over multiple victims in kind of an intimate setting. Power would be the underlying yeah, thing. In lots that, of right? power issues in here. Um, so he was like targeting people that were going to like a lover's lane and kind of secluded area in their vehicles. And that was like what he was going for to kind of interrupt those private moments. So there's like a hint of voyeurism in mm -hmm. here too when you kind of put it in that context. And invading. Yeah. What? Non consensual. That's what it's all about. It's about like you're not consenting to what I'm doing right now. That's like the key to voyeurism. Um, or like peeping toms for those of you who don't know necessarily that, that like term. the terminology. Um, I use a lot of technical terms, so that's good. As yeah. you should. Yeah, yeah. As you should. That's what I do. So his first shooting victims were two young women hanging out by their car after being out at a nightclub on a late July night in 1976. So this is like any girls after they get mm. done hanging out the club. They're not quite ready to go home. They're just going to go hang out for a bit and. Um, one of the girls opened the car door to kind of get out of her friend's car, like go to her. Is this, is this July 29th? Yes. Okay. Do you have that? Pulled yeah, I have that chart. Nice. I got that chart. Yes. Got that chart. Uh, <laughs> but she noticed a man quickly approaching and he pulls a pistol out of a paper bag and he crouched down, he aimed at them and then he opened fire. So... He killed one of the girls instantly, but the other one had non-fatal wounds and ended up surviving. So this is a constant theme of his attacks is he will he will shoot and kind of like rapid fire through a car window. So he's not really able to direct the shots. And a lot of them are like one survives the attack, which just seems horrific to be in the car with your significant other. They get attacked, both get attacked and only one survivor. I feel like that's just a... It's awful. Yeah, it's awful. So imagine the survivor's guilt. But with the survivor, she's able to provide the police with a description of the attacker. So that's, that's good news. 
Uh, she definitely didn't recognize him. She described him as a white male in his 30s with a fair complexion, five to eight in, five foot eight inches tall, and weighing about 200 pounds. And then she also reported his hair was short, dark, and curly. And that is an accurate description when you see his picture. He has like a weird kind of a baby face too. He like, <laughs> even like as an old man, because I've watched interviews with him all the way up into like old age. Mm -hmm. So I've only seen that one picture so far. Yeah, that one picture is kind of like the iconic one mm -hmm. of like what everybody when he was arrested and what he looked like during these crimes. So, um, but yeah, no one had any idea that David had done this. And then a similar event happened once again, just three months later. So he's got this pattern going. He's got that cooling off period in between, which is um, essential to be categorized as a serial killer. And it was another young couple. They were shot sitting in a parked car in a secluded area. The windows were up. So they like freaked out when the glass shattered. So they heard the glass of, you know, that, that would jar you. Um, but they quickly started the car and got out of there. And this is super crazy because the male victim was driving the car and didn't realize he had actually been shot in the head. So it was non-fatal, but he was shot in a very compromising area. Wow. So, yeah. Luckily, it was only superficial injuries. They both ended up surviving. And then he went after his next victims just a few weeks later. So this is a shorter cooling off period um, here. But uh, two young female students were walking home from a movie late one night, and they ended up sitting out on the porch and talking for a while after they got to their destination. And then all of a sudden, a man dressed up in like a military outfit, they, they thought he was in his early 20s, and he approached them. And he started to ask them directions in a high-pitched voice, which is <laughs> kind of weird, uh, creepy detail. Um, he has a really normal voice, like I've heard it in interviews, so he does not have a high-pitched voice, so he's like trying to disguise it here. Um, but then he shoots both the girls and runs away from the scene, and again, they both survive. But one of the girls is paraplegic after, after the attack, so she, the gunshot wound damaged her spinal cord. And he continued these attacks the same way, over and over and over, just like I mentioned, and um, he liked to attack two people at a time. So he has this pattern that he's developed. And his female victims all have long, dark hair, and the women in New York City were terrified. So they started actually cutting their hair and dyeing it blonde. Wow. So everybody was like freaking out, kind of similar to Ted Bundy, because he was attacking women with long, dark hair. I might and do so, that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they were like, I don't want to be a victim. I don't want to be a target. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take uh, some drastic measures and change my appearance, which mm -hmm. it ended up like not being a thing that mattered because another one of his victims ended up being a blonde. And, uh -oh. I, and of course, her date survived. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things he told his mom that night, like as he was going out for the date, his mom was like, be careful. And he goes, yeah, she's a blonde. And they were attacked that night. Wow. He said he had a bad feeling about it like two days before. And then it completely vanished on the day of their date. So he definitely was not expecting this to happen. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I've heard that having different color hair or like um, a really noticeable, uh, unique hair color will deter you people from. Um, yeah, because, because it shows that you don't mind like getting attention um oh. you're not afraid to like speak out and like yell or scream if something's doing something to you also oh, it makes it easier for people to be like oh look out for the girl's green hair 
Um, wow. So we should. I, I don't know how true that is, but I heard that uh, so that's yesterday. Like a, a preventative measure if you mm -hmm. don't want to get. <laughs> you now, if someone got me, it'd be like, oh, get the girl with two color split hair. But the Cruella hair. With the so, Cruella yeah. hair. Um, but they, like, the attacks were continuing to happen, and the police were able to link them together through ballistics. Because he was using the same gun every single time. He was using that 44 caliber uh, pistol. And then in the spring of 1977, Son of Sam was officially given his moniker. And it was given by himself. Like, he, he gave himself the name, which is so interesting. That do it doesn't usually go that way. Right. Um, the Zodiac Killer is one of the only other ones who named himself. Wow. Um, well, BTK did too, oh, actually. Okay. But, you know, most of them are not coming up with their own moniker or nickname. So they should, though. They should, maybe. maybe. I don't know. But David decided to do this by leaving a note for the police at the crime scene. And it's a crazy one. And I'm going to read an excerpt of this note. The note is crazy. It's I read super it crazy. I cut some parts out because they were a little bit off the wall. Um, and we'll be posting pictures of this handwriting. We have a picture of the notes. We'll be putting that on our social media for you guys to see here in a little while. But the letter said... This was not his only letter. This is just the first one. But the letter said, I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. I'm on a different wavelength than everybody else. Programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. I am the monster. Beelzebub. The chubby behemoth. I thought that one was funny. Like, <laughs> he knows. Very creative. He, he knows he's a little overweight, so he's just making fun of himself for some reason. Um, and then he continues... Uh, I love to hunt, prowling the streets looking for fair game, tasty meat, which is so gross. Um, the women of Queens are the prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. I live for the hunt, my life. Blood for Papa. I want to make love to the world. I love people. Just like, what? Um, I don't belong on earth. To the people of Queens, I love you. And I want to wish you all a happy Easter. May God bless you in this life and the next. And for now, I say goodbye and good night. But please, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back. Uh, and then he signed it, yours in murder, Mr. Monster. So it's a super weird note. It's, it's super stupid. <laughs> I must have read another one because some of that I wasn't. Oh, there's a second one. I must have read the second one. Yeah, there's a second one. Uh, but this is like another element of control here, though and power because he's like giving this letter that has all these warnings and telling police what to do and he's trying to like control the media and it's just exerting control in this really passive way whether he was committing these crimes or engaging with the public like either way he's being very passive with his manner of shooting he's very far away from his victims most serial killers are doing like an up close and personal like strangulation is actually the most common um, because they like that close contact with their victims. So for him to be, like, so removed, it's just kind of interesting. And now here's the other letter. This is probably the one that you probably read. So he sends this one to a journalist at the Daily News. So he's, like, taking it upon himself to mail this guy out. Like, he's, he's sending it out. And it says, Like a spirit roaming the night, thirsty, hungry, seldom stopping to rest, Anxious to please Sam, which is, this one's so stupid. It makes me laugh. I love my work. Now the void has been filled. Perhaps we shall meet face to face someday, or perhaps I will be blown away by the cops with smoking 38s. Whatever. If what? I shall be fortunate enough to meet you, I will tell you all about Sam, if you like, and I will introduce you to him. 
Not knowing what the future holds, I shall say farewell, and I will see you at the next job. Or should I say, you will see my handiwork at the next job. In their blood and from the gutter, Sam's creation. So that's how he signed it. From the gutter. Like, that cracks me up. Um, he was really having good time taunting the police. And he added, P.S. Please inform all the detectives working on the slaying to remain. P.S.S. Please inform all the detectives working the case that I wish them the best of luck. Keep them digging. Drive on. Think positive. Get off your butts. Knock on coffins, etc. Upon my capture, I promise to buy all the guys working the case a new pair of shoes if I have the money. Son of Sam. So his letters are very weird, um, kind of all over the place. And again, he's like telling them what to do. And he's like being really catty about it. Like, I'll buy you guys some new shoes. Like, he's super douche. You can, you can always <laughs> tell when these murderers create a poem or a piece of art or a letter. Like, you can really see a lot of their natal charts show up in this. You can tell it's written by a Gemini stellium yep, with Gemini. a Scorpio rising. Like, it's very... Ooh. I was about to ask, like, where it's a couple chart. hints there. Just we'll yeah. get into it in a minute. We'll get into it in a minute. Um, but he continues to commit this same type of attack over and over, and then it all starts to fall apart. So after his final shooting attack, a witness came forward like four days later and said she saw a suspicious man in the area around the time and appeared to be angry about a parking ticket that they had received. So it's just like an angry guy kind of freaking out on the side of the road. And the police were able to review their records and trace this back to David Berkowitz based on the description of the vehicle and um, the name on the, on the parking ticket. So that's good news. They had already had his name on their radar from the tip line. So um, when a man who lived right next to David named Sam Carr, interesting, called the police to report that his crazy neighbor had shot his dog, which is really, really terrible. Horrific. Um, other law enforcement agencies in New York had also received tips about David Berkowitz, and they had enough information now to investigate him more closely. Like, it all kind of added up. And uh, so they decided to go to his house. They were like, let's go to his place. Let's go check out his apartment. And they see his vehicle um, outside. It's like parked right outside. And in plain view, and this is allowed for police officers, if they can blatantly see something in your vehicle, they don't need a search warrant for it. If they can look into your car window without even trying to see something and you have a pistol laying there, like that's absolutely a probable cause. So they can go ahead and get a warrant for that. That but, applies to your house too, I think. Right? Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. It does. If they come into your home for anything and there's things like in plain view, it's it's a it's kind of an exception to needing a warrant. And it Close the blinds, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> it specifically applies, like, more so to vehicles is where you see it, because usually homes have more of a barrier. Mm -hmm. But, like, a parked vehicle that has something in it, you know, if they can see it sitting there. And he had all kinds of stuff. So, um, let's see. We're, uh, I lost the spot for a second. Okay. They saw a gun in the back seat, and then when they searched the car, they found a duffel bag filled with ammunition. Maps of crime scenes and a threatening letter addressed to an inspector of the Omega Task Force. And police decided to wait for him outside. They were going to wait for him to leave his apartment. Like, they didn't want to risk a confrontation with him. So they decided just to sit back and wait. And then um, when he finally comes outside, 
they swarm him and they've gotten a search warrant in this amount of time. So they, um, as they approach him, they pull a gun on him, a cop on each side, one on the driver's side, one on the passenger side. So they're like pointing Good. right at him like, hey, buddy, don't you move. And they search the vehicle in depth and they find a paper bag filled with all his murder gear. Um, and it matches the gun matched the ballistics from all the crime scenes. And his response to this is super interesting, kind of matches the tone of his letters a little bit. Um, but he looks them straight in the face and says, well, you got me. And he was smiling. And in response, the officer said, who have I got? And he said, I'm Sam. Like he was like, I'm, I'm son of Sam. Like he basically told them he was fully ready to confess. So now we're going to get to his ridiculous confessions. Um, he admitted openly to being the notorious son of Sam. He gave a full confession. He initially said he committed the crimes because he started to hear voices. And these voices told him that women were the enemy. He also claimed that his neighbor, Sam Carr, that we mentioned earlier, okay. who said he had a crazy neighbor, went to the police, that, you know. Um, well, he said his neighbor's black lab was possessed by an ancient demon and was commanding him to kill. But in reality, that was not true. He was not schizophrenic. He was never determined to have any mental illness of any kind, and he was assessed multiple times. And he later confessed that he made all of that up. So yeah, wow. That's so how our so our last two episodes, this one and the last one, both had like possessed dogs that were killed. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah, we covered the Salem witch trials on our last episode, and that was a a thing that happened there too. So very interesting theme, but. You know, he said he made it all up. It was very sensationalized. It got this story a whole lot of attention, too. And he made it all up on purpose. And when he confessed, he was allowed to communicate with the press for some reason. I don't really know. This is the 70s. I don't really know what was going on back then. Um, but he told them this whole story. He made some statements. And um, he let people believe that he had accomplices in this. He kind of, like, alluded to that. And that's where that whole Sons of Sam documentary came out recently. I believe it was on Netflix. Um, he made the statement, there are other sons out there. God help the world. But it turns out that's all like conspiracy theories. Like there were no accomplices ever truly definitively linked to this. And he is still in prison. So, you know, we'll, we, we may never know about that. Um, he later told a psychiatrist that he committed the crimes to get revenge on a world that had rejected and hurt him. Remember and, that. Remember oh, that. yes. Remember that for when we get to his chart. And it's probably a good time to point out that David, David never had a girlfriend, ever, or any close female relationships outside of his adoptive mother that passed away when he was 14. So this was like women were probably like a thing that felt like unapproachable to him and very felt very removed from that. So... For the trial and sentencing, David's mental state was a central focus. Um, he had to be evaluated for both competency to stand trial and for the not guilty by reason of insanity defense. So competency is basically whether or not you are mentally sound enough right now in this moment. So this is your mental state right now and whether or not you can assist in your own defense. So the not guilty by reason of insanity is an actual plea that you, that you would take. So it has to do with his mental state at the time that the crimes were committed. And a lot of times people get that confused between competency and the insanity defense and all the different things. So just want to point that out really quick. But he was found competent to stand trial. And against the advice of his attorney, he decided to plead guilty. 
they they were trying to get him to go for the insanity defense and he was like nope uh, not for me not for me and everyone said that he was really calm he seemed like he was in really good spirits about all of it and then we see a totally different vibe at his sentencing because he attempted to jump out of the window of the courtroom. And the courtroom's on the seventh floor, so this is not like an escape attempt. Like, Ted Bundy escaped through a bathroom window um, during a recess of trial one time. He's straight up, like, trying to jump out a seven-story window. So when they detained him for this, he started yelling horrible things about his victims. He was naming them specifically and calling them derogatory names. So it was super gross. Um, his competency was assessed once again, and they continued to find him to be completely sane. Like, he, he's completely normal, he's completely fine. And I would like to add, this is a legal determination and not a clinical determination. So somebody could have a severe mental illness, like you could have schizophrenia and not qualify for the insanity defense. That's so, good to know. Yeah, and you can, you can be found completely competent and have a severe mental illness. So that's something people don't often realize. But in June of 1978, he was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison for each murder. So they're going to be served consecutively back to back. Last little section here, we're going to talk about his life in prison. He had a lot of trouble adjusting at first, and he said it was like a nightmare. In 1979, a fellow inmate attempted to kill him. He was shanked on the side of his neck and slashed him from front to back. So super significant. It was so bad that he needed more than 50 stitches to recover from this. And he never ratted on the person who did it, which I thought was really interesting. And his reasoning for that is he said he felt like he deserved it. He felt like it was payback for all of the crimes he committed. He was like, no, I, I totally deserved that. So he never... Okay. Isn't that wild? And he also became an evangelical Christian while in prison. Of mm -hmm. And he started calling himself the Son of Hope instead of Son <laughs> of Sam, which, goodness. Um, he's very involved in the prison ministry. So he's, like, living this really chill life. It sounds like he's trying to be helpful. I did watch a lot of interviews about this, and it's I still could not feel like he was being sincere. I had a hard time, like, mm -hmm. feeling sincerity from him as he's talking about, like, sharing his story with children and how he's trying to like deter them from a path of crime i was like uh i just something about it really got under my skin and those interviews are on youtube if you ever feel like watching them but you probably won't because it's gross he's gross um but he's trying to like do good things while he's in there i guess which is like all right i just can't stand hearing him talk about it it just really bothers me so he comes off as self-important that was like what I took away from that. He comes off as very like pompous and self-important, but he does seem to have a lot of remorse uh, because the law mandates that he has to have a parole hearing every two years, which is a lot. And that's because of the plea he took. And at the time, you know, life without or, or life was the biggest sentence they could give him was the consecutive life sentences. They didn't have the death penalty on the table. And it came with these terms because he pled guilty. So he got this whole thing. Uh, but he does not attend his hearings ever. And his last parole hearing was in May 2020. So we would typically be expecting one to come up in the spring. But that has been uh, delayed until further notice because of COVID. So that, everybody is David Berkowitz the story. Now, let's chart this bitch. <laughs> let's get into the chart. Let's get into his astrology chart. All right. 
Let's give him a second. Yeah, we're gonna get set up for this. Uh, I'm gonna switch gears, get into this gears, chart. So get into astrology mode. And just to fill people in, if you're not familiar with astrology, here is with us in person. This is good. Okay. Well, adjust me. Yeah. Do you need it? <laughs> about right here. About right here. About right here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be like. <laughs> well. Okay. So uh, a lot of you might know your sun sign, but along with your sun sign, you can actually look at where the rest of the planets were in the sky the moment you were born. And that's what we are looking at for the son of Sam. So I took all of the, I didn't, I didn't take the planets, but I took the chart of where all the planets were in the sky the moment he was born. And that's how this basically works. Um, so the son of Sam, David Berkowitz, was born June 1st, 1953, um, at 4.52 p.m. We, we have do, a birth time! We do have a birth this time. This is so exciting. We don't have a birth time all that often. Um, and this is, yeah, this is good news. Having a birth time lets us show so much more detail on these charts. Uh, we get to see where the horizon was, which shows so much more detail. Um, he was born in Brooklyn, Kings County, New York. Uh, he even got some coordinates on there. Oh, yeah. Super these, specific. Yeah, these get very specific. Some of these astrologers don't mind. Um, so when you look at his chart here, and if you're a patron with us, you do get access to all of the charts that I pull for these episodes um, in our Patreon archives. Yes. Uh, but his, his sun sign is Gemini which we've seen many of these mutable signs be killers on our podcast. Yes, we have. Uh, <laughs> a lot of them. These mutable cross people, watch out. Um, but again, we've theorized that uh, other signs, like Scorpio, may also be committing crimes but are just more sneaky about it. Right, like the Golden State Killer mm -hmm. is a good example of that, who basically flew under the radar for 40 years before he was finally caught for committing hundreds of crimes he had to be found out by dna which by, which i was talking to one of my personal Paul patreon and i realized i should have said this in the last in that episode that um scorpio is a lot about looking at how things work and going down to that microscopic level so the fact that the scorpio had to be found by dna is even yeah. more scorpio it's as Scorpio um, as you can be. Yeah, so now that we've entered the age of having DNA um, for these crime scenes, the Scorpios are going to get caught. Scorpios yep. are going to get caught. Yep. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Son of Sam. His son is in Gemini. Um, it is intercepted in the 8th house. Uh, his moon is in Aquarius in the 3rd house. That's a lot of air. Oh, yeah. And then his rising is Scorpio. It is cusping Libra. Uh -huh. um, he has a very agitated chart uh, with all of his stress out outlets looking pretty violent. So his ascendant. So let everybody know what the ascendant means. It's your rising sign. It's how um, people perceive you upon first meeting you. It's your persona. Oftentimes, um, it's the self, the head, the ego, the emperor within the tarot, the mask you wear to the world. So think if you had layers of your personality, just with like your big three, your sun, moon, rising, the outer one would be the rising. 
And then the next one would be the sun, and your internal world is your moon sign. I love that. That's a good explanation. Mm -hmm. Like, I know I know these things, but that's just a really good explanation. It's, it's probably the easiest thing. And all those things are going to filter. Your energy is going to filter through those in this lifetime for you. So Scorpio Ascendant. This does insist on some themes of that darker side of life where he's kind of forced to live those out. Wherever your ascendant is also shows a karmic lesson that you have in this life. It's kind of like this is where you're facing and you're not allowed to look anywhere else. This is the filter you get for your life to look through. And for him being Scorpio, it does bring out those darker themes. Uh, Scorpio, as many of you may know, uh, we are filming this during Scorpio season. Yeah, any Scorpios here tonight? Yes! We have yes. <laughs> Scorpios. Awesome. We got a coat. Yeah, we got a few. Um, me as well. Yep. Me as well. Yep, you are. This is the time of year related to death um, with Scorpio. It's connected to death, rebirth, transformation, the unseen, the occult. Um, it's an investigative energy, wanting to understand the subtext of all situations, wanting to suss things out seeing the power dynamics, how things are working. It's also related to other people's money, intensity, manipulation, allure, the death card within the tarot, and of course, sex. It, of course. Of course. <laughs> it's all focused. I everything. Yes! It's all focused on transition and metamorphosis and creation. Um, imagine it as the deep ocean, if you need a visual. Scorpio rising will be very driven by their innermost needs and values, really reaching down to the core of themselves whenever they want to do anything. Um, they have very strong presence, uh, drawing from a hidden power source energetically. They seem very depthy, intense, and secretive. They can come off very polarizing as well, like the kind of people love you, I hate you. Um, and it goes the other way too. They can be real nice to you or real mean to you. Um, generally speaking, like the of Scorpio course. sting, like the, oh, that sting. Yeah. Yeah, you've explained. I'm gonna that. let I you live, or you're you're gonna die. <laughs> I'm gonna let you live or die. Um, polarizing and mysterious, yet blunt. Um, direct in a cutting, like no BS kind of way. Upfront, different, intuitive, thoughtful. They can come off a little too intense. Uh, they can be over personal with unfamiliar people, as we see him do. Right. <laughs> uh, Manipulative, overly nuanced, taboo, crazy, aggressive, harsh, blunt, direct, controlling, possessive, jealous, obsessive, uh, looking. These all feels so on brand. It's for very, him. Like it's it's very, on brand for, very on brand for Berkey. Berkey. Um, <laughs> that's what I put in my notes. I refer to him as Berkey. I like it. You always give them their own nicknames outside of all the other mm -hmm. nicknames that they approve throughout their life. It adds well, a little pizzazz, you know? Yeah, let's make it. <laughs> Make it more fun. Ultimately, with this placement, these people are looking for a deeper, intrinsic sense of worth excessively. Um, again, they can be the nicest or meanest, depending on whether they like you. On a karmic level, this involves the soul of the person learning how to properly utilize their own power. Um, power. Will they use it for good intentions or bad intentions? It can be used to connect to the divine, to source, to God, whatever you believe in or to control and manipulate. Um, it's all about intention, figuring out what your intention is a lot with Scorpio and who you can trust. Um, with his rising, we would likely be less afraid to acknowledge, he would likely be less afraid to acknowledge the darkness within himself 
but with the ascendant and descendant squares to his moon in Aquarius, um, and it's not only his moon, there's also some conjunctions there. So he has moon conjunct north node and conjunct bolus. Okay, that's, in, that's some intensity. So there's some intensity yeah. there. We, he will have felt the pressure from this, um, and he will have tried to hide parts of himself throughout his life. It probably would have been unsuccessful, uh, but it would have been kind of a back and forth wavering uh, con inner conflict with him, very difficult. Uh, very hard to express himself, and with this, his shadow self and his relationships as well. Uh, especially as this ascendant intensity is trying to his Vesta, um, an asteroid that's all about your soul's devotions in this life, making him feel very devoted to these scorpionic energies he has, um, prioritizing himself and his feelings above others. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It feels Correct. <laughs> in sync with these devotions, and they, they're a part of his inner world because it's in the same sign as his moon. And his north node, it feels like it's part of his destiny so him riding with his feelings is going to be a major part of his chart. Yeah, I want to point something out really quick mm -hmm. that whenever we do this, she does not know anything about the killer we're covering. She only looks at their chart and does all of her notes through the chart, and then I, like, research the person. So it's fun at the end to see, like, how much she absolutely nails it every single episode. So I was a little nervous about this one. Yeah, I know you said you felt like you were off a little bit. You're, you're dead on, and... It's like this every time, but I like it when it surprises you. It it's like, nice to be surprised fun. sometimes. It's more fun. Um, as a person myself with a Scorpio Aquarius, like really strong squares on their chart, um, I can really identify with how strong some of these conflicts are going to feel for him. Uh, not that I have the same ones, don't worry. Right, no, like I usually identify a lot with who we're covering because I'm a Pisces, and for whatever reason, Pisces are really popular murderers. I don't know why. We've had a lot very similar to Like, we all have almost, like, identical placements as all these murderers. Like, what is happening? But so. it makes sense why you're interested in them. Maybe. Um, man, being up here, I kind of feel like I'm, like, performing at, at like, one of the Chuck E. Cheese robots or something. Ah, uh, God, yes. I loved <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese. It was great. It was, it was a great. great. Place. <laughs> okay, so the ascendant squares to the nodes... Uh, the north and south node create a very strong story arc for his life. So the south node is like your past. The north node is your future, your destiny, where you're headed in life. Um, and so when you have squares on this, it, it really, very visually as well, makes this arch on your chart. Uh, where there's, if you were going to write out, am I explaining that right? People know what I'm talking about. I feel like Story arcs. And you have We're the, like the, the climax. climax. Okay, so yeah, we know stuff. <laughs> we, yeah. we know things. Jinx climax. Um, <laughs> which we... <laughs> so with these, with this uh, really strong story arc, it brings a lot, a huge karmic lesson. Um, and it um, will be creating some really devastating grand crosses later on in his transit charts on the dates that he committed his murders and was um, arrested. Yeah, we pulled all those dates mm -hmm. specifically. Did you pull charts for like a couple, most of the dates? Not too much. I didn't want to overload this, right. this episode. <laughs> um, his sun sign, though, we'll move on to that. This is wherever your sun is on your chart. It shows your conscious self, your general personality, your being, your light. Um, it kind of colors how you receive and perceive and emanate all energy within yourself. Um, he has 
the sun in Gemini. He's a Gemini. In the eighth house, which really brings out more of that Scorpionic tendency because the eighth house is ruled by Scorpio. Um, and I thought this was super fascinating. As he has a stellium here, and he wrote notes <laughs> to, about his murders. Um, this, this is just so literal, yeah. how, it, how it shows up on the chart. Um, a stellium, for those of you who don't know, is three or more placements on the same sign or house on the chart. The eighth house is ruled by Scorpio, which ties even more into what we were saying. Um, let's see. And more into his identity, which strengthens, strengthens that within himself. Um, Scorpio's solar energy expresses itself in a bright curiosity about the world. Um, it is adaptable, it's cunning, witty, engaging, it's lively, uh, fun-loving, logic-loving, gregarious, charming. It can be very multifaceted, sometimes manipulative. Um, they, have, they have the tendency to come off, you know, two-faced. Uh, good multitaskers. Uh, it, it brings in these themes of early education, common sense, and critical thinking. He would appreciate socializing these close inner circles, small communities. Think like neighbors, local friend groups. Um, you get together with them and for different activities, you see them regularly. Um, which also shows when he didn't get that, it was so much harder on him. Ah, uh, yeah, that definitely makes sense mm -hmm. like identity it's mm -hmm. it hurt his ego so yeah. so in incredibly and there's a few other placements i'm going to touch on here in a second that also show that same pain in his life we see that a lot where we see the same thing like repeat mm -hmm. on the chart over and over and it's just like a really strong theme in their life so these be, tend to be very intense charts yeah um they're intense people with mm -hmm. intense charts so let's <laughs> see so he has Oh, here's what he has in Gemini, okay? And it's inter intercepted. So when something is intercepted on the chart, it means that you feel like you're lacking in this energy within yourself, so you, you overcompensate trying to find it in life as well. So it makes it, it's like he's like trying to like find himself at the same time <laughs> as all of these issues I'm about to say. So he has the sun conjunct Jupiter, conjunct Mercury, conjunct Mars, and Vertex. Wow. Yeah. Sun, sun uh, close to Jupiter can bring a very inflated ego. Ah. Which we see with him. We see that. I feel like it's like really coming out in his later life because of all like the evangelical prophet, whatever he's doing. It like, can also bring wanting that connection to um, the divine as long as as well as another placement I'm going to bring up later. Okay. Um, it, whatever Jupiter is next to, wherever Jupiter is on your chart, it's going to expand that. It's going to bring it, um, it's like it's under a magnifying glass, or it's like it's, it's kind of uh, gr always growing on your chart. So his ego, his sense of self is always growing. There is a vibrance and an expansion involved of himself, uh, as if the world is always celebrating him. Wow. Wow. <laughs> a sense of adventure and destiny is present throughout his life uh, self-growth and excitement are are easily found but not really for him because of some other placements he also has Mars next to his Sun and Mars and the Sun bring this ultimate source of the ego and physicality uh, so not only is it like 
in his psyche, like building up his psyche, it's now with Mars involved, it's also bringing in his physicality, bringing into like the material world, um, all of his um, God complex stuff. This brings a romanticism of the self as well and of the physical activity related to it. It's ambitious and passionate. Sun conjunct Mercury shows I, really strong ideas. He's like an ideas man. Uh, really into <laughs> friendships and dig in their own like dignity. Um, but it's all enforced by their willpower. It's not necessarily that these are just like cool things about him. It's like he's kind of forcing these things to happen because he has Mars here as well and Jupiter. So, um, merging the self and the ego and the mind with Mercury involved. Uh, the heart, it's, it's harder to be objective and think outside of the self when you have Mercury right on top of your sense of self. When you have the mind on the chart, yeah. on top of the same place as your sense of self. That makes sense. The yeah. closer these are together, um, typically makes it harder to be objective. Okay. Um, and Mercury and Mars together bring this kind of spitfire shrew energy. Harsh and passionate language and mindset, direct. Mentally aggressive, a surplus of mental energy. Often these people use this on debating or fighting. Um, with him it seemed very physical, especially over time. Um, but I think he also used some of this mental energy in writing these notes. It was kind of like, oh, I'm going to not only commit this crime, but I'm going to make this little note, and they're going to... The notes were super <laughs> stupid. Do you see anywhere about where you write super stupid notes? <laughs> like, is that on here? Well, they're very witty in a dark, in a horrible way. They're very witty, which is very Gemini. Yeah, that's true. Very Gemini, very I dark. Feel like a Gemini it's, wrote that. Uh -huh. And it's very, it's filtered through that darkness of his Scorpio placements. Um... This can be a very competitive person. Um, he's not going to be a person who appreciates dilly-dallying. He's going to want to get to the point. Again, very direct. Um, lags and delays would likely frustrate him. So I wonder in, in any of these like attacks if if he got extra agitated because of uh, delays and well, the making thing he them did, happen. He did get agitated when he got that parking ticket. So that like kind of messed up his flow because he couldn't get out of the area. He couldn't get away from the crime scene the way he intended to because he had that parking ticket. So it was like a, that was why how he got caught out. Oh, that would be so So that was a huge delay. It was like a huge problem. Also, when he realized the knife was not uh, yeah. quite good enough. They uh, didn't get the job done fast uh -huh. enough, so he went to a gun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is absolutely what yeah, he did. Yeah, Jim has very fast-paced energy already, so having these placements here just make it, make it worse. Sun conjunct is vertex. Uh, your vertex is a part of your chart where it feels like you're kind of, if you were in a room full of people, and you are always pushed into the same corner because of all these this crowd of people. Not really by any one particular person, but just by circumstance. That's kind of what this feels like. It's like this area of life that you just get pushed into over and over and over again, whether you like it or not. Um, yeah, you. But, but for this, it makes it where he's unable to forget who he is. He's unable to avoid being himself. Because he's like thrust back into it. He can't like dissociate really, I feel like. That's hard for a Gemini who likes to kind of float, maybe. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's see. His son uh, squares his fifth house cusp, which could indicate issues feeling happy. Um, his vertex is also quincunx to his Pluto placement, as if he feels this like thrust, thrust into these bad situations of being himself. 
Um, and it's, it might be more compulsive of a thing with Mars there. So his moon placement. Oh, you guys have the same moon. We do have the do same you, moon. Do you feel good about it? <laughs> I can respect it to a degree, but it's not... <laughs> Not proud, you know. Not proud. Not a proud of what he did, but then got it. Um, <laughs> got, got it. Understood. Okay, so the moon in, in the zodiac shows your inner self, your instinctive emotional expression, how you receive and perceive emotional energy. So Aquarius moon. Yeah. For him. Oh my gosh. Whoa, I'm having chair. I'm not used to this, so I can ride around on the chair. I know, it's crazy. It's great. <laughs> so he was born on a waning gibbous moon, just 14 hours after the exact date, actually. So the day of. Uh, the waning gibbous phase represents uh, the energy of letting go and releasing. Um, it, it promotes reflection and gratitude. I don't think he really did that. Yeah, no. no. I don't know. But then, I don't know, because kind of later in life, where he, after he got shanked mm -hmm. in prison, and he was kind of like, I deserved it. I don't know. Well, that, maybe, maybe there's like some elements of that in there, or like some little hints of that, or him maybe, I don't know, because he's older now, he's like ending, like towards the end. When he's getting into the waning phase of his life. Yep, yep. So, his moon being in Aquarius, Aquarius energy is described as progressive healing, unique, kind of quirky, intellectual. It favors conceptualization. Conceptualization. Conceptualizing things. Um, they're not just going to feel things out supernaturally. It's going to be like, they're going to contemplate it. They're going to they're gonna really intellectualize it. Um, of the collective and community, it has to do with peers, sociology. They're really interested in sociology. Um, Let's see, it's tied to the concepts of hopes and aspirations, innovations, idealism. So he might have been, at his core, very idealistic. And when you have an Aquarius moon and those ideals don't happen because they don't, it's very, it's very upsetting. So it's like probably harder for than, mm -hmm. for that than other placements. Like it just right. experience is like a little bit tougher. Yes. Got it. Um, and for this being in his third house as well, that's the part of the chart where you are trying to connect with your close communities like i mentioned earlier your neighbors your friends your, your friend groups your cousins your siblings um your he friends at school your, especially like primary school ages um he had none of those things none of those things so for this to be such a personal placement for him and him to not feel fulfilled in that area of life is very devastating very devastating, um, especially because you're so idealistic about this part of your chart. And when it doesn't happen, it's very, very upsetting. Um, he also would likely really be interested in ethics, probably his own personal ethics, especially after you've been uh, disappointed by society for so long. I think he probably didn't care when he committed these murders, but it seemed like he cared later on in prison. It seems like he like created his own code of ethics mm -hmm. for himself. Like they were kind of against the community. So it's a very radical placement. It's really revolutionary, innovative. As we see, he wanted to innovate and make sure his crimes were going to be more efficient with that gun. Yep. Yeah, efficiency <laughs> was key. He learned really quickly. Um, how he wanted it to get, mm -hmm. so, you know. You know, it's less emotionally afraid of being disruptive as well, so him having to, like, do things differently or cause an uproar, probably not too upsetting to him. Uh, it 
Let's see. And mm -hmm. I'm trying to decide what I want to pull out of my notes here. I know. You got you got some great notes. I know. I've been I'm playing with these notes. It's been going okay. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm happy to see some more people. I know we're having people kind of file in throughout the evening. So yay. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys for coming out. And for those of you who don't know where you're at, you're at Dark Alignment Podcast. So. <laughs> That's what this is. That's what this is. All right. Yeah, the Aquarius energy is very individualistic. Um, it can also be known for having this cat-like detachment. Like, they care, but, like, ambivalent. You know, they care, but they're not all up in your business. Like a, like a little cat. <laughs> They'll let you know when they need something. <laughs> uh huh. If you need a way to picture Aquarius energy, think of the sky. Lunar Aquarius uh, has a strong emotional compass as well. So, as he's deciding what he thinks is morally correct, um, he's which they're not afraid of thinking differently. Um, he's really going to feel strongly about that. Sometimes people say Aquarius energy people have too strong of opinions. You know. Um, Let's see. So another thing with this lunar placement is they tend to have this library of a mind where it's almost like they're pulling books off the shelves within their, their brain. Um, they have a lot of a really strong memory. Yeah. Well. Air energy is all about that, that mental space. So that yeah. mental space. So that feels, feels good. Mm -hmm. Feels on brand. So the aspects he has on his chart here, there's moon conjunct his north node. Um, and your north node is your destiny. It's where you're headed in life. So for your emotional placement to be in the same place as this, um, along with folus, like I mentioned, which exaggerates everything, um, you're going to feel an incredible emotional alignment to keep pulling yourself to move forward um, and connect with your life path even more. Keep going further. Keep going more, more, more. Um, there's something with the north node where people are always striving for more of it. It's like you always want more of that energy in your life. There can be some short-sightedness with this aspect. Um, so I don't know if he really thought that much about being caught while he was committing the crimes. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really sound like he did, which is... I mean, he kind of just, like, developed the flow of how he was going to do it, and then he dipped out. Like, he would commit... He would shoot people and dip out. Like, then he didn't really... I don't, I don't know what his end game was for all this. Yeah, it, it, it seems like on his chart, his feelings are become the priority. Yeah, and it yeah. seems also like he wanted to be caught, because as soon as they caught him, he says things like, well, you got me, like, ah, oh, good job, everybody. Like, get, get you some new shoes now, or, get like, you some new or shoes. stupid letters, so. Um, and then with that exaggeration, with Bolas there, um, it, it's, it even just continues that theme of going the distance with things based on your emotions. His feelings were filtered through that Aquarian lens. It's a more practical sign, but made him feel in terms of like the bigger picture or like his own moral compass, like I mentioned already. Some of this is re a little repetitive because of the way his chart is. Um, but that's how these intense charts act, tend to look. You've got similar themes showing up over and over and over again. Um, making This makes his problems feel very like overarching systematic problems like something he couldn't solve without doing something bigger and broader um, not a simple fix by any means in his mind um, he has a trine from his moon over to his sun vertex jupiter and juno all those things in gemini 
Um, so much Gemini. Right. This creates a harmony with his sense of self and how he handles his emotions and his destiny. So it really feels like there wasn't a lot of second thought at all <laughs> with his chart on these crimes. And whatever he does is kind of like what he feels like he needs to be doing right now. Um, it feels like really impulsive. It feels it's impulsive and it's intellectual at the same time, which is very... That's, that's, an, odd, that's an odd thing. It's very Aquarius. And it's, it's a lot of, he has a lot of ruminating on his chart, um, where he, he gets this offered, he gets opportunities to act on his feelings, and his feelings are often stuck um, on the past. There's a lot of revisiting um, these old issues that he had years ago. Um, and he's got this self-satisfaction through acting on them. Let's see, he also has the moon square ascendant, which I mentioned earlier, so. We're going to move on. Something else interesting on his chart was his Neptune, Saturn, and Chiron, and Uranus placements. He has Neptune and Saturn in Libra and the 12th house, both retrograde. Uh, if any of you guys know much about retrogrades, uh, they, these are, this is when the planets seem like they're moving backwards. They're not really. Uh, but it, it's a time when they're not acting in their normal way. They're more introspective, more internalized. Um, well, kind of. Some people say it's like they're taking a vacation. Yeah. Um, That's how I like a fun way to it. say it. <laughs> like, yeah, they're on vacay. It's they're fun. on vacay. It's whatever. Uh, but it's a time of review, so you can review the themes of those planets during retrograde. Um, but when you have it on your natal chart, it usually slows the progress and the growth through these areas of your chart down. Um, so, like, for example, with Chiron RX, that has to do with trauma, it takes you a lot longer to, like, understand your trauma and process your trauma and heal from it than it would if it wasn't retrograde. Um, so, he does have Chiron retrograde as well. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. He's all kinds of effed up. I don't know what I can say here. I know. I, I said it earlier. So. <laughs> you did. We already said a bad word. We already said a bad. We said a cuss earlier. So <laughs> I said it. We said a cusser. Um, <laughs> I tried to be really careful too. I usually say a lot of terrible stuff. So, so I'm really, yeah. I was really being cautious. Mm -hmm. So with Saturn uh, being in Libra. He knows he should be appeasing. He knows he should be balanced and harmonious with society, but he's upset. He's not going to do that. Um, he's going to have a hard time abiding by those rules that Saturn is putting in on him. Uh, there's some... His own existence may have felt more and more pointless the older he got with this placement. Um, with this being like the seventh, the seventh sign of the zodiac on the shadow realm of it, it's kind of like... kind of an aimless sign. And like people say Libra is indecisive, it's, it, it, he's going to feel like that about the structure of his life. Oh, no. So he's kind of want, <laughs> has this wandering foundation of life. It does feel like, again, like he has no end game. Like he's just doing stuff uh -huh. and not really considering consequences or what's going to happen later. Just doing stuff is a good motto. Like, I'm for just now. doing stuff. This is what I do as the son of Sam. Like, <laughs> having fun with it, though. And this is sitting in the 12th house, which suggests he works, he, he found work in more hidden and secluded areas from society, like away from society, which like the mail room, yeah, being in the like you're kind of away, you're yeah. in fact with them, but you're away. Jim and I, all the air on his placement, um, on his chart really made mail room really fit. Like I, I could see the mail room being the longer term job that he had based on his chart. Um, he also has, uh, 
Neptune in retrograde here, like I mentioned, and this is about like your perceptions of the world, your perceptions of um, other realms, kind of like your intuition, your dreams, your more more aspirations. Um, and with this being retrograde and in the, in the 12th house and conjunct Saturn, which is very restrictive, uh, which is also retrograde, there's a lot going on here. It really makes his worldview very skewed. Um, he's he's very easily he's very easily falling into these delusions on life. This also suggests being in prison, uh, isolated away from society for a long time. That was one of the first things that when we started recording, and you were like, "Oh yeah, there's lots of themes on here." It says he had like long time in prison. I was being like, "Twelfth house, twelfth house, all over the place." Mm -hmm, we did see awesome. that earlier in this episode. So with how badly this is aspected. Um, a lot of harsh aspects, hard aspects on this. Um, it could very well indicate a mental illness. It could um, show he's resisting these secret enemies he has in his head. Uh, so there's a prison or confinement. Like if he maybe did have some schizophrenia going on. Something, something, something. He doesn't seem to in like his later interviews, but it does onset in the early mm -hmm. 20s. So that's kind of... Also, oh, yeah. trial, they deemed this and him when? When was when were they? Oh, this was in the 1970s. So you're, you know... It's I like feel like we've, we've made some advancements in mental health. Yeah, mental health is not the same today as it was in the 1970s. Thank goodness. I wonder so. if he was reevaluated like in pre with a present day psychologist huh? i'm certain that he has been because like he's just yeah he's been in he's been in the system a very very long time yeah. well this also shows that his prison experience also carried on these themes of feeling disillusioned within the structure um looking towards a higher power like god and and you really tell in this he's looking for like a spiritual structure to his life in prison mm -hmm. um like you mentioned in the story yep that becomes like his main focus like mm -hmm. he's like leading the prison ministry like that's mm -hmm. like all of his focus is going to that now so mm -hmm. um and a lot of ruminating again his mind being stuck in this own personal prison within his mind um preoccupied with the negatives of the past and projecting them onto the future um as if he's imprisoned by them uh, let's see, he has squares here to his Chiron retrograde and Uranus, which mean he can be very traumatized or triggered by the prison experience. Um, I wonder if that's part of why he doesn't go to the trials as well, because yeah. Libra would show some of the trials. Um, he, I mean, it's kind of like a ledge that he doesn't go because he doesn't want to get parole. Because it's yeah. parole hearings every two years, and he's been doing this since the 70s. Um, so that's that's a lot of hearings. It seems like, I feel like he, part of him doesn't want to leave prison. Like, yeah. I feel like he probably would be safer in there. He did say he felt safe and secure in there. He's probably safer in prison than if he were to be paroled. I feel like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It can feel like a very erratic place to exist for him, though, in prison. And, and maybe just in life in general, it looks like. Um, in his chart, in his life overall, though, these squares can represent in more more patterns of trauma that come on unexpectedly and suddenly, and very greatly disturbing uh, his worldview and the usual order and foundation of his own life. His life was likely uprooted more than once <laughs> in yep. a very extreme way. Yep. And I know you didn't know this when you did your notes, but I feel like the first time was like obviously the 
adoption that happened at the beginning of his life. And then once again, when his adoptive mother passed away mm -hmm. from breast cancer when he was only 14. So those are like huge things, huge changes. Dad remarries, don't like stepmom. Like he's going through a lot of things that would be hard for any kid. Um, but then he also had no friends and no social support. Like he, uh -huh. he really was, yeah. Yeah, he didn't get many wins in his life. No. Um, so it felt like he really created these wins with the murders, you know. Um, trying to satisfy these feelings, find an outlet, make himself feel better. Um, not the way I would recommend going about that, though. Yeah, it's not a not a great plan. Not a not a great plan. Mm -hmm. Um. On side note, on the on what you just mentioned about his um, adoption and things like that, I'm gonna uh, his. I wanted to. I couldn't write this down with the way we're set up today. So I wanted to say this before I forgot. Oh, I'm so glad um, but the way he has Jupiter aspecting his son and Saturn, um, it can really show like the, uh, the concept of multiple fathers. So he kind of has Ooh. one last name and one biological and one oh adopted. God. He kind of had three-ish mm -hmm. fathers. That's yeah. a lot. It's too many fathers. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fathers. It's too much. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I'm gonna spy my place again. That's oh struggle. no! Yeah, Saturn is a very harsh placement, and so having this in a harsh place on his chart, very, very harsh, harsh, making this harsh aspect to Chiron, and it's a sign of Capricorn, which is also pretty harsh. I'm just going to say harsh as many times as possible. Uh, it would feel very detrimental, though, to anything he wanted to achieve in life, or you feel like he couldn't get wins. Like I said a second ago, Chiron also being in the third house would bring ridicule, gossip issues with speech expression logic learning um being able to communicate with his his little groups of people like i said um and also short travels may have been pretty pretty bad for him uh he likely was written off by his support system his yeah. siblings cousins neighbors school friends etc he didn't fit in early learning was possibly stunted pre or Preschool or elementary school, something very early on. Also in his developmental stages, too, as like a toddler or a baby, this would have also been seen. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know the like timeline of the adoption, but he if was things adopted were three off, days after he was born. Three yeah, days. So that might have so to do with that. Missed out on all of that like bonding time. Uh -huh. You know, that's really really critical for infants. It's actually it's necessary for infants. Mm -hmm. So and having this be the third house three days after he was born, that's very Ooh. also symbolic. Um, he was unable to escape this energetic tie. Uh, this is all connected within his mind, too. So all these issues that he's going on, it's like very, um, it becomes his worldview in his mind, like how he operates and based on these traumas. He doesn't um, go past them. Uh, the options for uh, coping mechanisms on his chart based on these traumatic placements are... Chiron trying Lilith and the north and south node grand or sorry the what's that how did I write this I knew when I wrote this that I was going to get confused and I didn't change it <laughs> Neptune Saturn grand trying to Mercury Mars and Vesta so these are pretty harsh um again violent like I mentioned at the top of this Lilith would make him willing to manipulate and go to extremes to feel empowered when he's triggered. Mm -hmm. uh, which is one thing I do with my shadow readings. I mentioned people's Lilith, Lilith placements, where it's like if you start to see yourself doing things like this, um, that's you trying to 
fight for yourself. And it comes off pretty manipulative most times. Um, where you can really harness that Lilith energy to be more empowering rather than manipulative if you ignore or aware of what's going on. Uh, I don't think he was aware of that, though. Um, the Grand Shrine would have made his, would get his mind, actions, and devotion on board with whatever he felt would be best in the moment, uh, where we see that coming up again for him. Neptune, being in Libra, can also suggest uncertain values regarding obligations in um, relationships. And so I was actually doing some reading on his Saturn Neptune placement because these are slow-moving planets. These move, um, it's more, it's considered a generational placement because by the time they change signs, it's a whole other generation of people that have that's been born. Um, so during this time, in the 50s, the early 50s, I was reading that there were a lot, there was a huge rise in divorces. Yeah. And this brought on this Saturn-Neptunian issue in the house, in, in the sign of Libra, which is about relationships. Um, people unsure of what their rules are in relationships anymore. There, there's a lot of delusion and illusion over, like, an uncertainty over what is expected in relationships and what makes a good relationship and things like that. Um, a lot of indecisive things happening here, and it can kind of he really embodies this within his own chart. Um, it uh, would have made him very stressed about the concept of couples. Yep, which no known coupling ever happened for him. So, no, no, no. And he would attack couples. Yep, that was his favorite which I, thing to fix I thought made a lot of sense. Yeah, I didn't realize that until you said it. And I was like, oh yeah, he did. Mm -hmm. He couldn't be a part of a couple, so that was the thing that he like really fixated on. Or any, I, mean, I could see couples being extremely triggering for him. Yeah, and his like, like shaky template. foundation yeah. of life, like it, it just kind of uproots his own life all over again. It feels like that all over again. Um, it'll also affect the appearance of what a relationship should look like. So if uh, any people are worried about gender or gender roles in the relationship, how people are dressing, things like that would have also been a trigger for him. Um, Saturn restrictions. Uh, Saturn restricts areas on your chart. It brings the trials and goals of life that are set for you, not really chosen by you. Um, he likely has personal limitations and significant delays in normal life processes. Uh, Saturn and Libra retrograde as well uh, as well can strengthen this issue about relationships and tie in that stress over re responsibilities within relationships for him. Um, so that was yeah. that was a Saturn placement. Yay, Saturn. Saturn's, you know, kind of hardcore it's like it's like the grandpa that's coming in to like enforce the rules make sure you guys are doing things the right way yeah the traditional way grandpa. <laughs> all right so we're gonna go to his venus placement does anyone in here know where they have venus on their chart oh like, oh, like one not, not a great show of hands <laughs> come on guys well it's not it's not your sun moon or rising so i wasn't expecting too many <laughs> Most people really only know their sun sign, but you know, we're discussing all the other things you could know about yourself. And so wherever Venus is on your chart, it shows what you care about, what you value, it shows your relationships, uh, how you love, how you receive love. 
um, that instinctive emotional expression with you have. Um, his Venus was in Aries. Oh. So he values aggression. Yeah. He values passion. He values playfulness. Um, he values being fresh and outspoken, lively. Uh, he wants this, and if he was going to have a relationship, that's what he would want. But I think that he he didn't explore that much. Um, with these people, you need to be aware of brash and impetuous actions, as they're more likely to act out um, of this heightened, bold, and fiery independence that they have in their hearts. Out of this priority on independence, though, we can expect acts of uh, courage and strength to come through as well. It really just depends on how you're going to work these energies that you have on your chart. Right, there's always a spectrum of everything. There's like a high vibe and a low vibe, and he was clearly very low vibe, mm -hmm. so. <laughs> also, rest easy that emotional grudges are less likely to hold at this time. So I don't, it, you can see that with the way he attacked people. It wasn't like he was mad at one person and then years later, he this grudge built up and he killed them. It was like very spur of the moment. Yeah. Um, like maybe he planned what he was going to go do, but it wasn't, he it wasn't a grudge that he held over any particular person. He also didn't like stalk his victims, he didn't like get to know them super well, he just was more so looking for the perfect opportunity to find two people secluded to interrupt that situation and uh, yeah, commit his, commit his horrible acts. So. Horrible acts. Garbage. Garbage acts. So the uh, person with Aries Venus would um, value uh, merit and assertiveness, enthusiasm, playfulness, fun physical activities, really taking that risk in life, and starting projects. Aries is kind of known as a one-hit wonder, where they'll do one thing, and that's kind of it. <laughs> They're like a gunshot energy, where, yes. which is, which again, which is another thing I have in my notes. Yeah, that's a... Um, I said, value the quick, aggressive crimes like Aries energy. Fire, stab, shoot. Oh my gosh, and you, all, all three of those were in the story and you had no idea. Go do story. something. It. It's like this, like, go do something right now. I said that right. so many times. I was like, this is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. This is energy. That's all I'm going to do. This is what I do. He does have this in the sixth house, which is focused on health and routine, um, which is uh, more in a short-sighted way more action-oriented on his health. I don't know if you have any thoughts on how he per he perceived his routine and health in his life. I really don't, actually. Okay, we'll just Not even, like, in prison. Like, he never really talks about anything but, like, his pastoring stuff. Mm -hmm. If any of you guys know, we'll leave it in the, the comments. Uh, he, let's see, I said that. Uh, Semi-square to Jupiter from this Venus placement. Which brings a feeling of discontentment with your aspirations. Uh, where it's gonna like his wants are never met. Um, his idea of what he wants to his aesthetics to be are never met. Uh, this aspect bring this brings this sense of striving to overcome the problems and difficulties in the path of your self development constantly. Uh, it's never enough. <laughs> um, craving but struggling to break free from the restrictions and to grow to your full potential. So it's really just constantly, I need to do more, I need to do more. Uh, let's see. He has a sextile to Vesta here, which brings support from that Aquarian devotions I mentioned earlier um, and what he, in getting what he wants. Venus is often looked at as what you want and then Mars is like how you're going to get it. Okay, I like how you're going to go about getting it. 
He has Venus also opposite that Saturn-Neptune retrograde action in Libra, uh, making things balanced either, it's kind of like a, not only balanced, but like a, uh, what's that called? Like a, like a teeter-totter? <laughs> uh, it's like a either, scale? or a scale, that's probably what my, my, my intuition mind is trying to do. Because um, teeter-totter didn't seem right. I do like teeter-totter. <laughs> you want to just level, you want to put everybody off the ground. That'd be great. So on one side, we have dystopia. And on the other side, we have fun and loving routines. Um, like prison dystopia or fun and loving routines. And it's really hard to achieve any kind of balance for both of those things. And when he was loving the routine, he would just crave more. So it's not like he ever found satisfaction in either either side of that teeter-totter in his life. That sounds terrible. <laughs> just sounds really, really terrible. So, so terrible. I'll take the, yeah. Oh, they're getting drinks delivered on the stage. This is great. I kind of want to do this every time. Though. VIP. Just have At least have Dakota bring me the drinks whenever we record in my house. Yes. <laughs> in the studio. And shout out to Dakota, who does our music for us. So. Uh-huh. If you guys haven't checked out uh, Kid Coda music, um, hit him up for your music needs. Your musical, <laughs> your musical inquiries. All your musical needs. <laughs> Yeah, get you, get you a drink. What is that? It's uh, Chardonnay. Oh, okay. Nice. I like that white wine. A dryness. <laughs> I like, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been liking the drier thing. Um, very Aquarius of me. <laughs> very Aquarius Scorpio of me. So, um, one of the last placements I really wanted to hit on was his Pluto placement. And his, because it is in Leo, in his midheaven. And your midheaven is your 10th house cusp. It shows what your reputation becomes, what you become known for, the goals you achieve in your lifetime. And I just make, this brings me back all the way to the Black Dahlia episode. Yes. Because all of, this, all of these crimes that we've covered, where, the, where someone right away got on the media, like big media coverage, and they were like personally interacting with them, and, um, all this notoriety coming right away, uh, very Leo 10th house um, patterns that we've seen over and over again. This is a, and Pluto, if, if you're not familiar, is very known for being about death and transformation. It rules Pluto, or rules, it rules Scorpio, Pluto rules Scorpio. Um, it can bring a lot of more excitable egotistical issues being in in Leo uh, very harsh ego being in Leo um, also the way he takes death type actions and becomes known for those and being such a dramatic kind of uh, part of his life is what he becomes known for it's very Leo ten house um, this that becomes his reputation what he's known for uh, there's a I have a quote here um, with the 10th house being in Leo, you become admired for your accomplishments. The drama of it is very Leo energy, which is a more common midheaven placement, yeah, but the idea of being admired for it is very um, interesting. I don't know who's admired. I don't know if admired is the right word for, for this darker theme. I, you know, the books I read are not focused on killers usually. So, um, but becoming 
such a focus of the public for his accomplishments. Yeah. For his killing. What he probably killed. considers an accomplishment. Yes. The rest of us are like, that's horrible. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of that was just like all the attention that he was yes. seeking through it, where he's like, writing all the letters like yeah there was a lot of power and control elements mm -hmm. to that but there was a lot of attention seeking as well where mm -hmm. that's really the only reason that i think that this case became so famous was because of the letters and the son of sam aspect and he like really dramatized it it's like very yes. very leo energy to like make it super it's, super dramatic it's to see what somebody with this kind of placement would need to do to become like reputable for what they do. Right. I was actually telling a so, friend we were doing this episode earlier and he was like, oh, I've never heard of Son of Sam. I was like, really? It's like, he only killed six people. I was like, yeah, that was the response I got. He only killed six people. I was like, yeah, but like it was, it was more huge. about the whole way mm -hmm. he went about it. That's what made it so sensational. So, so some extra little fun tidbits I've got at the end yes, of my notes until we get into the, a couple transit charts really quickly. Um, he has the south node in the ninth house, which can represent issues with personal growth, among other things. All right. Um, I found some notes from some astrologers about people's charts who have been adopted. Um, so some, he, I found seven little bullet points, and he has four of these. All right, so it's like a checklist. It's like when you have, you know, if you have four of the seven things, you're probably this. Like, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, so Pisces in the fourth house, got it. Neptune in the fourth, no. Pisces on ascendant, no. Uh, Neptune very close to ascendant, yes. Got it. Afflicted moon and Saturn, got it. Vital Neptune placement in natal chart, got it. Scorpio in the fourth cusp, no. Um, but we do have Pluto in um, a very intense sign, or house. I see. And I mentioned this already about his mail drop. So I think we're going to get into a transit chart. So a transit chart is when you look at what the sky was doing at a certain time. And you can overlay it with someone's natal chart with the sky of when they were born and see what was going on energetically then. So his first shooting I pulled up, July 29, 1976, at 1.10 a.m. Yeah, we had, a, we had times for all the shootings um, because, because of course it was a shooting, it was loud, it was public, um, it was reported pretty quickly. So we do have actual times, which is awesome because we get the full chart. Right, and I did, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna go into every one, but I am gonna touch on the first one, the initial, because that really starts this spree right. of shootings for him. Um, during this time, obviously the sun was in Leo. It was conjunct Saturn and Ceres on his south node with uh, Le or Venus and Mercury also there. And remember, this is all his 10th house, which, um, again, what he gains notoriety for. Um, and then on his arrest chart, which was August 10th, 1977, we have the sun and Leo again wow. in the same place, conjunct Saturn again. Um, and the moon was conjunct Jupiter in Gemini, in his sign of Gemini. So on both charts, the sun came into conjunction with Saturn on his Pluto in the 10th house. Um, the sun in the 10th house brings the spotlight to your goals and your reputation. And his attention is also on those outward aspects of his life. So he's kind of looking outward, see what can I do right now? Um, what he wants to achieve within society. He's focused 
on all of that. He can literally be put into the limelight during this time, which he was. Saturn in the 10th house can represent harvest time. Gross. Uh, very gross <laughs> for this. Very gross for this. I thought you'd like that. Yeah, I know. It's very gross to me. I love it. It can show the consequences of his prior preparations, uh, which is one way that I saw this written. Um, leadership may come through this time as well. He was kind of the leader of this murder in a way, this murdery stuff. He was a big name in murder at the time. Um, Sun and Saturn together on the transit can show fulfillment and difficulty. The responsibility of things can hit. Uh, consequences for actions and how they, how well they were done are. So any kind of mistakes like that parking ticket about with him getting caught makes a lot of sense. Also, I saw a Pluto um, aspect, which I, I couldn't write this note either. Um, when you said that he was seen, like visually seen, and they were able to give police reports. Right. Um, Jupiter right. can show you being seen. It can be like the eye. Oh. Um, so he had like a Jupiter, I can't remember what it was now, but he had a certain Jupiter aspect on the shootings, uh, shooting charts, uh, with that last one. I can't remember now. I wish I could have written this. But uh, it, it would have shown that energy of being seen, which is really fascinating. Um, again, also on these transit charts, he has Pluto with Saturn, which may have, which showed he may have had fewer resources for doing what he wanted at the time. So I almost wonder if, like, during, like, right before he started doing all this, if he had some kind of struggle going on um, that made him feel extra bad about himself while, like, before he started doing these bad things yeah like potentially like bad interaction with um like somebody he had a crush on or who even knows mm -hmm. I'm, I'm purely speculating but it's just fun to do that sometimes and pluto saturn also shows again a uh, transformation and death plus your disciplined goals so we see um really finding the structure of death here for him the structure in his life uh will also change dramatically during this time so uh, you know, once he starts shooting people, it's like, this is what I do now. This is how I, this is who I am. This is how I show up in the world. This, like, is, yeah. this is the foundation of my life. I'm going to build my life around this now. Um, these form quintiles to his solar stellium, representing creative inspiration on how to take further action. Uh, so he got some extra creativity, a little creative boost on what he wanted to do and how he was going to do it during this time. Uh, he could carry on being himself, but even louder than normal because he had all these these fresh new ideas on how to do these ah. how to be himself how to be himself how to be his awful awful self um overall this could be an intense time of culmination for him because on his chart this creates a full moon to his natal moon so with the moon being in leo opposite his see or with the sun being in leo opposite his moon in aquarius um, you know how intense things can feel on a full moon? Yes, um, absolutely. He had that during this time as well. Okay. So all his emotions would have been extra intense. The transit moon on the shooting chart is also in the 10th house, but in Virgo, suggesting a more subtle working of this energy. How you said he kind of like was like crouched and he was like kind of right. figuring out how he was going to make this work. Um, usually focused on what he wants to do rather than the later one that I pulled the arrest chart where the moon is in his stellium sign of Gemini conjunct Jupiter, which again can show you being seen. It, um, 
is also where he has his natal Jupiter. So this is a Jupiter return. And we've seen a lot of intense things happen when people have planetary returns happening. Right. We um, see a lot. We see uh, returns a lot. It's a culmination of what's happened since the last time the planet was right there on your chart. So uh, coming back around to Gemini, it's kind of like, here's the results of what you've been doing, dude. Um, get arrested. Here's the results. <laughs> the results are in and you're terrible. Um, um, a much more expansive, illuminating placement for him. Uh, he became illuminated to the public. Uh, became recognized for his actions. Mars was on Lilith during this sh uh, shooting, which shows that, again, that manipulative, like, I'm going to empower, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make things better, um, and taking action on that feeling during the shooting. And then on the arrest chart, Mars was returned in Gemini again, another return. Um, and it was square Lilith, so showing conflict from the time that he did the shooting. Um, so that was really fascinating. We see repercussions of his actions during the return, similar to how we see that happen on the death charts for these killers, especially if they were executed. Right. That's usually what we. That's usually what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. But like I said earlier, the death penalty was not um, that didn't exist in uh, New York at this time in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. So he got a very different sentence which again allows him to be up for parole every two years i hope a parole board never releases his ass so yeah same right same 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 energy same um lilith was also or lilith was also in gemini during the arrest which was fascinating where we see we've also seen this on the death charts of executions where they were disempowered based on those awful Lilith triggered actions that they took during the time of the crimes so that's all that's all we got that's all you got all i got no more notes mm -hmm. i did well it. that everybody is human garbage uh son of sam who's trying to call, call himself son of hope right now and it's weird um so we hope you enjoyed that story if you did you can follow us on social media you can like our podcast you can subscribe you can join our Patreon to get really cool bonus content. They get, Patreon gets twice as much as everybody else. They also got to live stream this yep. for free. Patreon got to live stream this for free. Everybody else had to pay for the link. Um, and thank you all for being here tonight. It's amazing. Uh, we're so we're so glad to have done this. We've never done a live show before, so it's been a cool experience. Um, but please connect with us. We're at Dark Alignment on every single <coughs> social media platform and wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also selling merchandise after this. So we have custom scented candles by Anastasia Blue Alchemy. They smell amazing. So you are welcome. Custom to scent. Yeah, custom blood scent. Blood-colored candles. Yeah, when you light it, it actually looks like blood. The wax does, so that's pretty fun. Um, we, also, right we also have stickers up here for five dollars a piece if you'd like to get a sticker and uh we have cards if you don't want to spend money yeah that's free um, <laughs> you, yeah supporting us for free is very easy by just giving us a rating and writing us a review would be awesome even if you just want to tell us like your moon sign or something i don't you know yeah everyone tells uh, your moon sign it just helps with uh it helps people find the podcast it boosts us up in the algorithm so we really appreciate it and uh, I feel like we are good to go. So um, please continue to love yourselves, take care of yourselves, and chart all the bitches in your life. Thank you guys so much. Good night. Good night.